got my space to How did he gonna be? Yeah, it's getting retaliated to me. Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could beat him while playing chuckles on the other side. That's how that was. And he's better than us? Are you serious, James? Tony? The name is uh, well known. What's that? What's my name? It's like Fifth. The UK fans, they, they love the fights, they also love the production, they love, they love to applaud and moan the talent. So we finally got to see what Game Change is all about. You know, Eddie's finally played his hand and he's shown us what the, the post-match from Sky World looks like. And it's not amazing, but I guess, you know, we can take satisfaction from the fact that it's not fatal. It's pretty much more of the same. And what we can take from that, I think the first message is, Hearn has shown us most of his best ideas already. I, I don't think he's going to be the guy to move the needle. So when he says game changed, I don't think it's going to be him. Could it be someone that Hearn hires, mentors, or inspires? Probably. But it's not going to be him because we haven't moved forward. Boxing hasn't moved forward. The game has not changed. You know, As I say, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And so I finally managed to catch up on the card on Saturday. I just, you know, it was actually hard to, to get a stream for it, which, you know, you got to give the digital rights managers their credit for, for keeping that pretty tight. But the downside of it was this. You didn't get the same chatter that you would normally get around a matchroom fight. And Eddie's a man who's all about numbers. And, you know, he set the tone for that, right? Eddie would always talk about the numbers, what you're getting paid, how many people watch this, how many people watch that. It'll be interesting to see if we find out how many people tuned into the zone, because we should be able to track that relative to the number of subscriptions they have in the UK, right? So you can't fake, you, this is something you can't fake. My suspicion is it didn't do great numbers, and that's probably why he didn't put amazing fights on for the first week. And he's hoping that, you know, Something like a McCarthy, Billum Smith will generate enough interest that others will want to subscribe. Or more importantly, the pain of trying to find a stream will mean that someone will want to subscribe, right? That's kind of where he's pitched it. And that makes perfect sense. But if you look at the build-up, this was one of the few matchroom cards where you're like, I haven't really seen Eddie Hearn. He hasn't been visible. He hasn't been vocal. He hasn't really... There was nothing. That's how I describe it. There was nothing. And I think that has to be a fact that when you're with Sky, there's only so much you have to do and Sky do the rest. Whereas now when it's all you, you've got to coordinate and lead everything. Like the model's not perfected. This isn't to say that Matchroom and Design are going to be a disaster forever. There's too much money behind this initiative. There's too much money behind this project for it to be as bad next year as it is this year. And it's not bad. It's just not what we thought it would be. And so... When you watch these cards, you've got to look at it as this is someone restarting from scratch. And then we've got to judge it based on that. I don't think you can judge it based on what came with Sky. What we can say now is Sky did a lot for Matchroom that a lot of people didn't want to understand. But now they understand that. I hope they have a newfound respect for what you had with Sky. But I just wanted to offer my views on it. Uh, some of the fights, how I felt, you know, 
just of the bits and bobs I saw and then of the, the rest of the card that I was able to catch up on. So the card itself lost its star power when Conor Ben and Granados didn't meet. And that was what I think this was really about. It was about moving Conor on one way or the other from a storyline perspective and from a career perspective. You know, here he goes against an American that the American audience will understand represents a tough fight. And if you get past Granados, you've got the right to call out certain people. So the fight would have been valuable from that perspective. And I think it would have generated great attraction because obviously you're dealing with Nigel Ben's son and you're dealing with someone who's about to dip his toes into the shark-infested waters that are essentially welterweight. So once you lost that, you were back down to your standard Saturday night fight card and it felt like that in the build-up. I don't know what the new model's going to be. You know, Coogan wasn't as prominent as he normally is. Michelle Joy Phelps wasn't prominent. Um, seconds out. Nothing was really that prominent as Matchroom see. They're looking to keep stuff in-house, right? That's the new model. Do the content in-house. But the risk you have with that is we get different textures of content. That's the real risk here that no one's really touched on. So we're used to Eddie having a sit-down with IFL. And I don't know what camera Coogan uses, a Canon and Nikon. Sony, who knows? But there's a texture to that that we're used to. A certain audio, a style that they do on their, their regular Monday sit-downs. When Hearn goes into zone mode, he becomes a bit more presidential and less of the, the you know, lad about town. You know, Coogan and Eddie, it's boys on tour, isn't it? When they interview you and they do that. It's just boys on tour, say some slick stuff, say something dumb. You know, Eddie can wear the gaudy Gucci stuff, you know, that he's clearly too old to wear. But then when he hits the zone mode, please the shareholder mode, please the stakeholder mode, the shirt's on, the waistcoat's there, the jacket's on, he stiffens up and he starts trying to talk like he's a queen. And so when you start getting the, the mismatch in textures, the message feels different. So now it's like, well, do we believe him when he's in zone mode or do we believe him when he's in IFL mode? And so what's the model for him and Coogan going forward? I have no idea. And I guess time will tell, which is why it's smart to hold off making any, any long-term judgments until we've seen a bit more. But it's interesting. I, I, don't think, I don't think Hearn's particularly comfortable in the new role. I think he'd rather be outselling without having to do as much organizing. You know, I'm not 100% close to it. But this, this previous week has been pretty stressful from what people were saying. So it's an interesting time. I think you've got to give the model time to bed in. I think what we can say for certain is it didn't get the reach that it would have done on Sky, but that's to be expected. And we can also conclude that you know, this, is, this is a tester. This was all about seeing what you could do as the zone of matchroom. And I feel it can be refined um, just visually. You know, I kept getting the impression watching it that, that the ring wasn't level. Now, I might be wrong on that, but either the ring wasn't level or everything else wasn't level. I'm not sure which one it was, but there was definitely something there where the lines didn't add up. And I think for a lot of people, that becomes disorientating and frustrating. So in terms of Saturday, let's just start by looking at the, the prospects. There. So there are a couple of prospects on. They had Campbell Hatton making his third appearance if I remember correctly, and Sandy Ryan making her debut. So anyone who knows me knows I'm a big Sandy Ryan fan. I thought at 69 kilos, you know, she was a she was a threat 
but always felt that she had to ease her way up to 69. I don't think she's naturally that big. And having met her in person, I'm convinced she's not that big. She's more of a, a 63 to 65 kilo athlete, which for me is, that's her optimum size. So her at light welter and at a push, maybe lightweight. I know in the amateurs, the um, 60, 64 was fine for her. So I think with the day before weigh-ins, you can be a bit more aggressive when your weight cuts. So maybe she could do 60. And I think between light welter and lightweight, I think she's a compelling proposition for the for the female division at a time where it seems to be picking up speed. So it, it's more exciting. And, you, look, and for all the people who are against, you know, how oh, women can't fight, women's sports not that good, just remember the women's 100 meters and 200 meters in the Olympics, for the first time in my life, are far more interesting than the men's version of the events. You know, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the the tensions between the competing athletes and we had the from a British perspective we had the drama of Dina Asher Smith so I think the lesson from that is when you make women's sport really competitive and when the characters involved have a bit of needle towards each other you'll make money and that's the model that matchroom should be trying for I'm disappointed Frank isn't really on the wave yet and we're hoping that after this Olympics he'll see sense but Sandy I'm a big fan of, always have been, I think probably hard done by by GB, but carried a lot of injuries. And I think that's a legacy of the, the GB style training, which is relentless. So it tests how robust you are. Is it overkill? Uh, some might say it is. But it meant that she, she had a bumpy couple of years. And so this pro debut has been, it's been a while in the coming, but I've been, I'm really appreciative of the fact that it is. Because she's the... Yeah, she's the sister of Dave Rocky Ryan, and we kind of remember him as being the opponent that announced Josh Taylor on the scene. So she's from a boxing family. She understands the game, which is good, and I think that sets her up nicely to do a lot of damage in the in the 140 and 135 divisions. So in Kirsty Babington, you had a, a pretty crude and agricultural opponent for a debut. Never... Never going to allow, allow you to show the full range of your skills. Not really going to allow you to show what you're capable of. But she's going to test whether you've got the heart to be in that ring. So, yeah, credit where credit's due. Errol Johnson creation. I think she's from the West Midlands as well. Came in to, to do her best. But after a while, the quality started to tell. And you started to see the uppercuts coming through. And the, the jab looked crisp. Sandy Ryan looks like... She looks ready. Like... We, too many times we give these these athletes three or four, you know, meaningless fights and then say, okay, we're going to step them up now. I genuinely think you can put Sandy Ryan in with Sherelle Brown right now. Just put the money up. Sherelle Brown versus Sandy Ryan. And people ask me, why do I think this is a good fight? Number one, Sherelle's really skillful. And she's also the kind of person who comes to win. So she's not going to come and be awkward. She's not going to come and do anything. She's going to walk in, believe me, she can beat Sandy Ryan. And so I think that would be a good fight for Sandy. And this is the way women's boxing should go. I think with the men's side, we've become too obsessed with the O, the idea of you being undefeated. I think with the women's side, we can be a bit more UFC. If you're entertaining, you will fight. And I think if we have that ethos, I think you can accelerate the development of women's boxing and they'll get paid more. And they'll have better careers for themselves. I think that should be the differentiating line. The fact that you can just take more risks with the female boxers. And I'm not talking about health necessarily. I'm talking more about just, you know, 
you can move them on quicker. You can have those faster records. I look at someone like Hannah Rankin, who's been able to move quickly like that. And through doing that, she's become a visible presence in a sport that I don't even think she was doing six years ago. Yeah, but I can see them building towards an inevitable clash with someone like a Chantal Cameron. They might whack her in with a, a Deanna Hobbs in Australia. Well, Matchroom can use that leverage now, right? Seeing as they're about to, to do business in Australia. So you can take Sandy anywhere because there are super lightweights or junior welters, whatever you want to call them, all over the globe. It's, it's a really good one for a Commonwealth title because you've got boxers in Australasia, you've got boxers in Africa, you've got boxers in the UK, obviously. So she's, she's in a good place which I find the most exciting part of this. And on a side note, when are we going to get British titles for our female fighters? They're doing numbers now. They're doing engagement. They're doing, they, they're doing their bit. And I think some of these divisions are mature enough that you can start giving British titles. Not necessarily all the divisions. Like, you know, we don't need a heavyweight title just yet. But definitely for lightweight and junior welter, I think there's a justification. Now, anything from like 130 to 140, I think we should be giving British titles for and then start to phase them in as the divisions grow in terms of competitiveness and size. Now, in terms of Campbell Hatton, I don't really know what to say. I'm, I'm of the Conor Ben view of give the kid time, right? Kid is really learning on the job. Wasn't an amazing amateur, lived in his father's shadow. I think as, as Robert Balboa once said, you know, you cast a very big shadow. And so maybe that's what Ricky's doing. But then much like, much like Rick, Rocky, Ricky's got to tell his kid, man, you'll go out there and be you. Stop being afraid. But I don't know what it is with Campbell Hatton. It's, he looks like he should be taking heads off. But then he doesn't box like he wants to take someone's head off. And maybe that's the legacy of growing up in relative comfort. But then I come back to, Conor Ben, Chris Eubank Jr. There are other people who have come with that mindset of taking heads off. And it might just be a maturity thing. Which is why I don't say too much about his fights at the moment. I don't feel comfortable with the fact that he's fighting Polish guys who are like 4-4-2 four, four and two or whatever his opponent was. They're not great opponents. I'm sure you could find British guys that would walk him around the ring for six rounds or so. And that's probably what Campbell Hatton needs. A good six-rounder with someone who's happy to walk him around and I shouldn't say that because it makes it sound as if the fight's fixed. But we understand what journeymen are there for. And he needs those kinds of fights and he needs that kind of sparring. And actually, Campbell Hatton's probably the guy, if you said to me, who should spend time with Ben Davidson? Maybe Campbell Hatton should be the next project because I can see where they both benefit. Campbell Hatton finds himself in, a, in an elite environment and Ben Davidson's able to say, look, you said I should take someone from pretty much zero. Watch what I do. So being diplomatic, the undercard was, I think we'll call it a mixed bag. So you had Anthony Fowler against some, is it Mueller guy? It's a German guy. No idea who the guy was. And don't really understand where that fight was, was headed in terms of Anthony Fowler's career. And then we had obviously Tommy McCarthy versus Chris Bidham-Smith. And... The strangest one of all, Avni Yildrim versus Jack Cullen. <laughs> it barely makes any sense when you think about it like that. But as I said right at the beginning, it's the first step in. Everything is, a, is trial and error. And 
you know, we can only hope for improvements as things move on. Now, Anthony Fowler is a really interesting character because if you think about Anthony Fowler's amateur career, it's without question, it's without, there were no real missteps in Anthony Fowler's career. And you can never question he was a damn good amateur and probably should have done more. You know, definitely at the Olympic level, he should have done more. And I think I said it at the time, you've got to ask yourself, why wasn't he able to do so? It can't be a maturity thing because he was quite old for an Olympian. And so he was old when he made his debut, relatively speaking. So what is it? Is it that he's so wedded to this, this idea that he's the, the scouse hard man? Is he so wedded to this idea that he can smash through anything and anyone, that he refuses to, to change and exercise some judgment, some intelligence, some common sense even? Because, and I, know, I saw on Twitter people thought the stoppage should have happened sooner. But the thing when you watch Fowler is his punches are so inaccurate that he looks busy. But if you look at his opponent, the opponent never looks in distress because it takes him about 30 punches to do the damage that three or four frotch punches could do. And I don't understand how because he's come down in weight. Is it that 154 pounds takes too much out of him? I don't know, but he should be better than he is. Like Fowler's growing on me as a boxer and as a character, as a, me as a presence on social media, Fowler's growing on me. So that's a tick. He's working with Shane. That's another tick. Because Shane, Shane will cut out the nonsense. Now, well, can, whether Shane can give him that hand-eye coordination that leads to accuracy and good timing, I don't know. I'd like to think he can because Shane's a good trainer. And as you saw, like, he, had a good, he had a good night. Now, that was a decent payday for Shane. You know, gyms are not cheap to maintain. So <laughs> I'm glad that he got to, to put a few, few shekels in the bank for that. But... Where does Fowler go? Fowler seems to be the new Sam Eggington. It seems that we're always going to have entertaining fights at that kind of British fringe European level with Fowler. And then at world level, he will get taken apart. So if I'm in Hearn's shoes now, I'm just matching him against everyone I can from the UK. And we, we saw that with the announcement that Fowler's going to fight Liam Smith next. And you're like, okay. But once again, confusing. Right? Liam Smith fought at world level, comfortably operated at world level, and now we're talking about him fighting a guy who's really British level. Why? Is this another Josh Warrington situation? Is Hearn really going to punish someone else for leaving the plantation? You know, look at Warrington. Warrington had to fight the unknown Mexican. And now his career is kind of up in the air because if he loses to the unknown Mexican again... You're going to feed him to whoever loses between Galahad and Jazza Dickens, or you're going to feed him to Lee Wood. And it's going to be a sad way for Warrington to bow out. So I would quite like them to show some respect for a change. You know, Liam Smith deserves a better fight now. Kel Brooks out of action. Amir Khan's probably not the best option. But you can't get him a world title fight at 154? Why, would you, why not stick with Frank then? It doesn't make any sense to me. But if we're going to get Fowler versus Liam Smith, that's a fun fight for Liverpool. And at least the build-up will be entertaining because, you know, all Smith brothers will be there. And Fowler won't care. He'll go at absolutely everybody. And then just looking at, at the Jack Cullen scenario, I don't understand how Avenir Yildrim's had the career he's had. Do you know there are just some people who've had careers and you don't understand how? Um, Danny Drinkwater in football terms is one. I mean, how the hell has this guy had a career? 
there, and there were loads of them. Who else? Alan Smith, the guy that used to play for Leeds and Man United. How the hell did he have a career? Uh, who else has been... I mean, you, you know those footballers who, who seem to make a career out of just being there. And it's the same in rugby. There are people where you're like, how has this person had a career? Um, Matthew Tate was an example. Once he got exposed to being fragile, he's played on for God knows how many more years. No idea how or why. But we have, all, we have these sorts of people. Lavney Yildrim's another one where I'm like, you're just a tough guy, right? You're not really a great boxer. You're just a tough guy that can mix it a bit. And somehow you manage to blag yourself a fight with Canelo. That boggles the mind. I'm like, what? How do you manage to do that? And then the descent has been so quick, you wonder where he actually came from. You almost have to do your due diligence and go, how did he even get that far? After Eubank finished him with that left hook, we should have known that this guy was made out of, I don't know, refuse sacks and feathers. And that's all he was made of. That's all he's made out of, really. And here he is. Jack Cullen gets a good name. He gets to elevate himself. And he got to fight in a style that he loves, where he's a six foot three guy thinking he's Roberto Duran. So I really enjoyed that. That's, that's the sort of fight I like. Risk taker, it's cost him before, but it's also done wonders for him. So good luck to Jack Cullen, to be honest. I hope, he, I hope he goes on and has a fabulous career. And I hope he makes good money for his family and he puts a little lever on the map. So you've got to give him credit because he's a guy that doesn't seem to say no to fights. And they're the kinds of people we like in boxing. Now we get to the fight of the night in my eyes. Tommy McCarthy versus Chris Billum-Smith. Now, to most people, I mean, they're both known as victims of Richard Riakpour, who seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth, actually. And it's, it's strange, because he looked like he was the next in line. And somehow, after saying no to the Okoli fight, it seems that he's been frozen out of things. Now, I hear conflicting things. I hear he's been frozen out by Matchroom. I also hear that he's turned down numerous fights. And I don't know what's right, and I don't know what's wrong. Boxing's full of rumours. What I do know for certain is there are loads of belts up for grabs, and Richard should be tucking into at least two or three of those, and he's not, which is a shame at the moment. But yeah, so his, his two former foes met, and obviously that was Chris Billingsmith's only defeat, and Tommy McCarthy had only lost to Richard Riakpour and I think it was Matty Askin. Askin would have been a hell of a fight for someone like Chris Billingsmith. It's just a shame that, you know, his life kind of went upside down for a bit, you know, about things that we, we're not allowed to talk about. But I think in simple terms, it's, you look at a fight like that, and it's two guys who, for me, are roughly equal in ability. Now, Tommy, deep parameter experience, World Series of Boxing, um, had a fantastic rivalry with Stephen Ward in the Amateurs. Um, he's fought guys like Con Sheehan and the amateurs and so forth. So Tommy McCarthy had been around the block. Chris Billum-Smith was at that level. Like, I, I've known Chris a while now. And I know that Chris would have been watching the 2016 Olympics going, I could have done something here. Because he, he was on that track. Much like his, his kind of mentor, Steve Bendel. You know, he was, he was seen as one of the golden boys. You know, nice guy, speaks well, can fight. You know, easily coachable. But I think he just got injured at the wrong time. So he was unfortunate in that sense. But I know, know Chris really well. Don't really know Tommy that well. But I knew this would be a good fight. And it was. It was a compelling fight. So it wasn't necessarily you know, the, the sort of Gatti War type war. 
but it was a compelling fight because you had two guys of relatively equal ability. And what I like about them as well is they have realistic records. No padded records, no, you know, protecting the O. Guys who like to fight. And so it ends in a split decision win for Chris Billum-Smith, which I think is fantastic. So now that puts Chris in that kind of discussion where now you're saying, who does he fight next? Can't fight Lawrence in the same camp. Do you ask for the rematch with Riakpour? Maybe. Do you fight Jack Massey? I can see the logic in that. Or the elephant in the room, do you call out Isaac Chamberlain and say, let's make a fight? Because as long as these guys keep floating around cruiserweight, the truth is people know Isaac's the people's champion. So you have to see Isaac Chamberlain at some point. But, you know, does Chris really want that? I'm not saying that out of fear. Is it worth it? Can you do other things? Are there other cruiserweights you can you can pal up with without having to do that because Hearn's fast running out of cruiserweights if they can't reactivate Richard Reactpool pretty soon. So then we just break that down and we say, is Chris Billsmith world level? He could be. The thing is, Shane took a guy who's already an accomplished boxer and he added that professional sheen and polish. And that's what Shane does really well. He takes people who are pretty self-directed and pretty good and adds that layer of sheen, much like Ben Davison does. It's that thing of, we're going to eliminate mistakes and we're going to be tactically sound. And I think at that level, that's all you can ask of your trainer. That's all you can ask of your team. You need to do the rest. And in the case of Chris Bill and Smith, he does. And it's a testament to the great culture they have at the McGuigan gym. Now You look at it now, just the big guys they've got there. That must be a hell of an atmosphere because everyone there is super talented. So you're all trying to outdo each other. And that's credit to Shane because when he lost all the big names, people thought he might be finished. And he went away and he rebuilt and he came back stronger. So kudos to him for doing that. But now I just want to move to the main event because it was interesting in so many different ways. So Lee Wood fights, I think I'm going to say this properly, Shu Kan for his, I think it's his WBA title. I've lost track of who's got what belt now. And... The way they were talking about Shu Kan, you thought that we were meeting the the next coming of God knows who. He showed up and he was terrible. And it wasn't that he was terrible technically. He looked like he could box, but he looked like someone who had come for a, a light sparring session, a little move around, maybe getting over an injury. At no point in that fight did he impose himself physically on Lee Wood. At no point did he impose himself psychologically on Lee Wood. And once Lee Wood realized that all Kanju could do was hide behind his guard and come back every so often, he just made the most of the opportunities when they came. And it wasn't a one-sided beating, but it was a well-deserved win for Lee Wood. It, for me, the person who should be kicking their TV screen in anger is Josh Warrington. Because the Warrington we remember would have just walked through him walked right through him, taken the belt, had two belts. Now he can call shots. Now Josh Warrington has no belts. No belts. Remember, he, he dropped the belt. Yeah. And so now you've got to fight Mauricio Lara. And if you win that, you've got to fight one of Jazza Dickens, Kid Galahad or Lee Wood. 
considering you're fighting guys like Selby and Carl Frampton not that long ago, that feels like a, like a step down. And it ignores the elephant in the room, which is none of these guys want to fight Isaac Dogbo. Why? He's a good name in the US. You could do it out there. Why don't they want to fight Isaac? Because a lot of these guys know they'll get found out. But yeah, Shukan was quite possibly the worst world champion I've seen come to these shores. Yes, worse than Charles Martin, because at least Charles Martin entertained us. You know, and we wouldn't mind seeing Charles Martin box again. Shukan can quite frankly just do one, to be honest with you. It wasn't it was disappointing in that sense because whatever people want to say, Lee Wood is never a world beater. He's talented, but when you're 31 and this is your first ascent to world level, that tells you that you've been messing around or you've been around the wrong people for a long time and you never get that momentum back. But good luck to him. I wish him all the best. It's good to see Nottingham with another world champion. Onwards and upwards for him. And credit to Ben Davison. That's another win in the bank. I know people like to call him boxer size Ben, but I stand by what I said right at the beginning. I'm going to reserve judgment on Ben Davison until I see a proper Ben Davison project from start to finish. And then I'll know better. But overall, not a bad show. I think we now miss Johnny Nelson. We now realize the role Johnny Nelson played and he played it really well. You know, it's almost like they'd show Johnny Nelson a whole load of tweets and then Johnny would go, okay, let me just go against what these people are saying. And then that'll be another thousand tweets and we're trending again. Johnny's not an idiot. He knows what he's doing. Now we realize the importance of Adam Smith. Sometimes you need that schoolmaster to keep order while you're watching the fight. We realize why Carl Froch is important. Um, I think Laura Woods works, but her voice is familiar because we all kind of consume talk sport content. I thought Maya Jammer was a bit of an awkward fit, and I don't know if that's going to be a long-term one. I don't know how long Hearn can persevere until she crosses over. But it's, it's an awkward fit because she doesn't strike me as being passionate about boxing or sport in general. Whereas with Laura Woods, you get the feeling that, you know, she, she loves her sport. So what do you do with that? That doesn't feel like an experiment that worked in terms of Maya Jammer. I don't think she brought many numbers over. It's clear from her data on social media that a lot of that stuff is inflated. So who is she really bringing to the table? That doesn't mean Maxim should stop finding famous people who could do it. But for God's sake, I think you could even probably get Mourinho to do it. And that would be far more compelling for you than my jammer. But I think for now, I was on Porky's show um, the other day and I gave it a 6 out of 10. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's good. I'm hoping that next week's a far stronger proposition. Don't quote me, man. I have no idea. I'm hoping it's a Jazza Dickens kid Galahad one next week. And if so, that, that does look like a good card. You know, even the Ebony Bridges bet Connolly might be an interesting fight. I'm not saying it's two world beaters. But sometimes we just need to be entertained and that might bring that sort of entertainment. I'm trying to think of anything else we need to touch on before I sign off. Uh, not really, Ben. Just want to wish Ben Whitaker all the luck in the world on Wednesday. He boxes Arlen Lopez for the gold medal. If he wins that gold medal, that's as legit a win as you can ever have as an Olympian. Head to head with a Cuban in a final. That puts Ben Whitaker. his gold becomes greater than Joshua's gold because most people think Joshua's gifted his gold. Ben Whitaker's earned his gold. 
Lauren Price gets that gold, she's earned it too. All of all the Brits who get their golds this time have earned them. The 2012 guys, it feels like the golds were born. The, this crop, anyone that gets a gold or a silver's earned it. And I hope the promoters come with the checkbooks. I hope they come correct with those checkbooks. Because these, this generation has done us proud. Um, Karis Artingstall, Lauren Price, Pat McCormack, Fraser Clark, you know what I mean? Um, ben Whitaker. Even the ones that didn't really make it through, like Luke McCormack, um, Siobhan Clark, and so forth. That whole squad did us proud. As I've said before, my worry is we don't have anything of that caliber coming through. That's my worry. And I think the Commonwealth Games might be a tough one for us. We need to make the right selection calls. I think we need to take a few gambles on that one. But I think we'll see Karis there next year, and that'll be really good. Because she's looking, I think she's waiting it out until the women's division start to mature, and then she can make a decision. Right, guys, I'm going to sign off there and say thank you very much for listening. As always, if you liked it, share. Make sure you tell a friend, you know, on Twitter. Tag someone in the industry that needs to listen to this. And let's keep building the brand. Take care. Bye. father i'm a i'm a you know i'm a semi good husband you know what i mean what you know what I mean? i'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my I, I was born poor i ain't never had nothing man. i don't know how to act all right but the real thing is i'm just i'm just here to be me so i don't care what uh, you, think you know what i am or who, or who anyone thinks i am um at this stage of my life but um yeah i'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan yeah that's who i am